This was a series of sermons preached by Aaron Hale at Riverside Bible Camp in the summer of 2023. The theme verse for the week was from Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, which says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So, a little test for you guys here as we get started this evening. Anyone tell me which one of these are bigger? Blue. 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 Same. It's it's uh, actually something of an optical illusion, and put them together, you can see they are in fact the same. And just that to make the point that we can actually be quite easily deceived. And I want to look at Genesis 3 and look at what went wrong in the garden and also what are the implications of what happened in the garden so many years ago. Uh, we, are something, uh, we are on something of a quest to discern if we are in fact a people in need of saving and if so, what, are we, what do we need to be saved from? And as we move on, we'll also see how has God made provision for our salvation? So we're still looking at this question of, are we a people in need of saving? Are we a people in need of the heart transplant or not? Because how you answer that question is going to determine how you actually respond to the offer of salvation Itself. So Genesis 3, and uh, I'm just going to pick up at verse 1 and read this account of what went wrong in the garden. I know you're familiar with it, but still good for us to just be reminded once again. So now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, of the Lord God excuse me, among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. 
Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing, and pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, man has become like one of us, and knowing good and evil, now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. And there we have the fall of humanity from a place of innocence, from a place of holiness, to a place of rebellion against their creator. And we've been working through uh, this account. We have seen the, the scriptures as the word of God. We have seen God himself as the eternal being, the one who was there before anything was created. He speaks all things into existence. And we saw that the capstone of God's creation is the creation of the man and woman. And they alone bear his image unlike any other animal or creature that the Lord God made. They are to reflect something of him in his creation. They are to rule over it and to tend his garden by which they will also be provided for. So one of the questions in your book that I uh, want to look at this evening, uh, and we've kind of looked at it already, but uh, one of the questions, in what condition did God make Adam and Eve. Right. He made them happy and holy. Exactly. Good job. You've been looking at your book. <laughs> oh, okay, so God made them holy and happy. And so this is what we talk about, a place of innocence. Remember, God said that it was very good as he looked upon the woman and the man that he had made it. And part of the indication of their innocence, of their holiness before God, was the fact they were naked and not ashamed. And, and this is an indication of the innocence of their soul. They were, in fact, holy and happy. And in Genesis, we have the account of what happened, what went wrong, where did things go sideways? And it's hard for us to imagine in some ways. Uh, we can't really understand a world pre-fall, a world where there is no death, a world where there is no disease. There is no thorns and thistles and poisonous animals and, and there's no uh, disease and, and sorrow and brokenness and murder and, and wars. We, we, we can't really fathom 
such a place, where a place where God himself, we're told, would come into the garden and walk with the man and woman and fellowship with them in a very personal way. But this is what the scriptures tell us. Now, if you're going to understand exactly what went wrong, you do also need to understand something of a covenant. Now, this question comes up a little bit later, but I was going to ask it now as well. So does anybody know what a covenant is? Thank you. Good job. All right. I trust you guys to pass this back for me. (laughs) Yes, so a covenant is a promise or an agreement made between two or more people. And what we have in the beginning is actually a covenant that God made with Adam. A promise, an agreement. You do not eat of this tree, and if you do, you will die. You see, you may think, well, what's the big deal? Well, he just ate some fruit, or, and Eve just ate some fruit. Why, why is this the beginning of, of, of man's downward spiral, spiral into chaos? Well, you see, at the center was a covenant, a promise, an oath, an agreement. And sometimes this one is called the covenant of works, where God gave a commandment to Adam, and if he kept the, if he kept the commandment, if he did not eat, then he would have lived forever upon the earth and continued to carry out God's mandate that he gave him in creation. But as we know, they broke the covenant with God. And we'll talk a bit more about covenant in the days to come because actually God only relates to us within the context of a covenant. And if you begin to understand that, you actually will be able to make a lot more sense of the Bible. From beginning to end, God relates to us in the context of a covenant. There is always a commandment. There is always an agreement, an oath. And so if God is going to, being the infinite holy God who dwells in heaven where angels sing his praise day and night, if he's going to stoop down and relate to us, his creatures, on this little speck of dust we call earth, it's in the context of a covenant. And that was exactly what was established in the beginning with Adam and Eve. So what went wrong? Well, we have this strange uh, creature enter the scene, the serpent. We're told he was crafty and he tempts, he deceives the woman. And what does he do exactly? Well, he begins to undermine the truthfulness of God's word. And this is the tactic that the devil has used from the beginning and he still uses it today. He will undermine the word of God. He will bring it into question. Did God actually say. And he also begins to question, to put question and doubt into Eve's mind about the goodness of God. Is he actually good or is he withholding something from you, Eve? He just doesn't want you to be like him, knowing good and evil. Don't you see this whole thing? God is just keeping happiness and he's keeping joy from you. Don't you get it? So he he brings God's word into doubt. The devil questions God's goodness and he entices them to flat out disobey, to disregard God's command. And Eve, of course, falls for it. She is deceived. She hears the lie, and she believes it, and she takes the fruit and eats. And, and Adam is not innocent in this. He's standing right there beside her. Who was it that God gave the commandment, don't eat of the tree from the knowledge of good and evil? It was Adam, wasn't it? We, we read that uh, this morning. Right? So Adam was put as sort of a, a, a priest or a, a, a caretaker, a, a protector of his wife. 
he was to relay the, the commandment to her. He was to protect her. He was to, to make sure that as a, as a new couple, they upheld the word of God. He failed. He was standing right there. He just stood by passively as the serpent deceives Eve, and she takes the fruit and disobeys God. So another question that is in your book, did Adam and Eve stay holy and happy? No. No, they did not. They sinned against God, didn't they? So they did not stay holy and happy as God, as God had initially made them, but they sinned and fell into rebellion. So another question then, what happened to our first parents when they had sinned? What was the result of this rebellion? Yeah, August? Okay, that's true. Um, so, what's the opposite of holy? Unholy. Unholy or sinful, right? And what's the opposite of of happy? Sad. Sad. Miserable. Sorry. I work with August. Good job, man. Exactly. So they instead. So they became sinful and miserable as a result of their own disobedience against God. Now you might say at this point, okay, so they messed up, they disobeyed God's command, they fell into a state of rebellion, now they feel shame, now they are distanced from God, they're removed from the garden, God no longer is able to come and walk with them, he is holy, he cannot commune with unholy, sinful creatures. But what does that have to do with you and me living thousands of years later in the future? You may think, well, I wasn't there. I didn't eat the fruit. Like, why am I part of this problem? Why am I affected by the consequence of their sinful action? Well, we see a few things immediately in our passage here. Uh, first of all, we see that God placed a curse upon the serpent. And we're going to come back to that in a moment. So this creature, the devil, who is a fallen angel... Uh, using the, the vehicle, if you will, of the serpent to deceive Eve, he, the, the, the creature itself is cursed to the ground to eat dust. And there's another part of that, which we'll get back to in a moment. The woman also, there is a curse as a result of her disobedience, pain and childbearing. And the second part of it, it may be a little confusing. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Well, what is that talking about? doesn't sound so bad, you know, if you like really love your husband, you just can't get enough of him, I just desire my husband, and the guy's like, oh, that sounds amazing. Um, is, that what, is that what God's talking about? No, it's actually not that kind of desire. We know that because a little bit later, we see the same word used when God confronts Cain about after he had murdered his brother Abel, and God tells Cain, sin's desire is to rule over you, Cain, but you need to walk in obedience. And it's the same word. So the idea is that now within the marriage relationship, there is a battle. There is a war that begins. There is tension. There is a struggle for control, a struggle for authority, a struggle for, for who is going to, to be leading this. And that's put into this, so that affects all of us. Um, and also for women, the, the pain of childbearing, which I believe not only is the, the, the very act of giving birth itself, and uh, having been with my wife for five of our boys in, in, as they came into this world, uh, is a, an insane experience that I know as men we just can't even really begin to, to understand. Um, but it's more than that. It's also the, the, the heartache and the struggle and the toil of bringing up children. 
Maybe you have little brothers and sisters that sometimes drive you crazy, right? And, and you experience something of that <laughs> struggle. And also then look at the curse because of the man. Well, the ground is cursed. We have thorns, we have thistles, we have disease. We also see that in his work, he is given a sense of futility, of frustration. And, and by the sweat of his brow, no longer will he provide with ease for his wife and family, but it will be with struggle and toil. I think, well, okay, that seems pretty bad, but I guess we could probably manage with those consequences, right? Well, that's not the only thing. You see, what did God tell Adam would happen on the day that he ate of the forbidden fruit? That he shall surely die. Exactly. Okay, so there was a promise. You will surely die, Adam. Now, did Adam die on that day? No. All right. So the, the answer actually is yes and no. Actually, the answer is yes and no. Now, at that point, death does enter into the scene. Very soon, their son kills his brother. But... There is more even than that. There is, remember how we've talked about we have a soul that will, will, la will last forever, is made to commune with God, and we're made holy and happy. So actually, the effect of the fall was also spiritual in that man went from a place of being alive unto God, loving God. The first and greatest commandment, Jesus says, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the summary of the law of God. And man has fallen to a place where their heart no longer loves God. In fact, we cannot love God. We are, in a, we, are, we are left in a condition of spiritual death. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 3 as he describes the condition of mankind. In chapter 3, verse 9, Paul writes, What then are we Jews better off? So, Jewish people, God's covenant people that Moses brought out of Egypt, he's asking, are they better off than the, the non-Jewish people? He says, no, not at all, for we've already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside, together they have become worthless, no one does good, not even one. And Paul just goes on and on to describe the, dish, the condition of mankind because of the fall. Because here's the thing. Adam and Eve represented us in the garden. They stood as your representative. And we have come from them. We are their offspring. And so we are caught up in the death that they brought into the world by their disobedience. And, and even King David would say, I was conceived in iniquity. Even if you turn over to, uh, just before our theme verse, to the book of Ephesians. Listen to what Paul says just before our theme verse. We'll be looking more at this uh, as the week progresses here. But chapter 2, verse 1, Paul also describing the condition of these Christians before they came to Christ, he said, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. That's the picture. That's what we're brought into. 
This is our inheritance from our father Adam and our mother Eve. And no one is exempt. It comes to us even as we are conceived, we are brought into this state. And you see it in very young children. I've got young boys. My littlest is three now. And very soon, this boy has to be taught how to disobey. You have to teach a baby how to disobey mom. Or throw a temper tantrum. No, you don't have to teach them how to do that. You have to teach them how to obey. It's in their nature to, to demand, mine, me, mine. I want food. I want this toy. I don't like you. Blah, blah, blah. And, and we see the effects of this rebellious nature. Even in a small child, it's within us. You see, our very nature was changed in the garden. And there's a lot more we could look at here, but I want to just flip to um, back to Romans. One more passage, and then we'll wind it down with looking at some good news in the midst of this event in the garden. So listen here again what Paul said. If, you, if, you're, if you're doubting me, if you're thinking, yeah, I don't think we're that affected by Adam's and Eve's sin. Here's what Paul said in Romans 5, 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin was not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. So there it is. Are we, in need, are we a people in need of saving? Yes. Humanity is in a desperate condition. And we don't, we don't see it. We can't see it. We're blinded. We're, we're entertained by the lights and the trinkets and all of the toys of Babylon. And we, we think that it's all about acquiring wealth and being liked and keeping up to date on our favorite movie stars and following the, 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 the latest uh, sports team. And, 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 and we're, just, we're just led along on this lie that everything's good. I'm fine. The scriptures tell us differently. We have offended a holy God. And Paul said, not just Adam's sin, but we ourselves have sinned. And if we're honest with ourselves, we know we have broken the law of God. We have, we have mocked his name. Have used the, the name of God to, to cuss or casually just throw out the name of Jesus. That's breaking the, the commandments of God. Have you had lust in your heart for someone that you weren't married to? Have you stolen something? Have you lied? These are all breaking the commandments of God. And so not only are we guilty because of Adam, but we're also guilty because of our own sin before a holy God. But there is good news. And I want you to slip back for a moment to Genesis 3. I want you to see something very incredible. Something that I think actually the angels would have been completely baffled by. Because, you know, the angels also had a fall. There was also a rebellion with the angels. We don't have a lot of detail, but it, there's indication that when the devil re revolted against God, a third of the angels went with him. But there was no good news for the angels. There was swift judgment, condemnation. They were driven out of heaven, and they were already determined that they would one day be cast into a place called hell, which is God's prison, his eternal prison of suffering and torment. And the angels were immediately 
sent out from God when they fell. But in the account of man's fall and woman's fall, there's something very interesting. When God is, is pronouncing a curse upon the serpent, he, he makes a statement which seems very strange. He says, to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. What in the world is that talking about? Pretty powerful question, but I'm sure you guys know. Um, what is this talking about? A serpent comes into the garden, deceives the man and woman, leads them into rebellion against God, into a condition of spiritual death and bondage to the devil, but God makes this pronouncement right there. One day, serpent, someone is coming from the woman, and you will bite his heel. And what happens when a snake bites your heel? You die. You die. True. We'll assume a <laughs> But the offspring of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. What is this? Somebody have a question? It's Jesus. Thank you. Yes. Spoiler alert. <laughs> yes, who is the serpent crusher? Who is the one to come from the woman? Now, here's what's extremely fascinating, and as I said, we'll look at more of this. I know we're running out of time. This is what is called the, well, the fun um, Greek word, as far as I know, I think it's Greek, Proto-Evangelium. I think it's Latin. It means the first telling of the gospel. What does gospel mean? Does anyone know what gospel means? Talk about the gospel. What does it mean? Good news. Thank you. Yeah, it means good news. So this is the first good news. This is the first telling of the gospel. God proclaims the gospel to the man and the woman in the very context of them receiving the curse for their sin, seeing the effects of, of their sin. He preaches the gospel to them, and he says, one day a serpent crusher will come from the woman who he will be bitten by the serpent and die, but he will overcome, he will destroy the serpent. And this is extremely fascinating as we consider how God has, has worked over time, leading us to the very focal point of when Jesus Christ would enter the scene. Now, we've already determined that Jesus is also God, right? He was with God, even though God is one. He is also the God who is one and yet three. And so there is Father, Son, and Spirit. And, and the Word, John says, was with God, even creating all things. This Word, but John says, the Word became flesh. This is speaking of Christ. He becomes flesh. And what's very interesting, uh, as you think about the coming of Christ into the world, did he have an earthly father? Was he born of the line of Adam? No, I heard some news. He wasn't. He was born to a young virgin woman who was betrothed to be married, but yet was a virgin. Why is that significant? You see, because in order for this problem to be corrected, there's a few things that we need. We need a new Adam. We need someone who does not inherit this sinful nature, this bondage to decay, this rebellion against God. We need someone who can obey where Adam fell, someone who can keep the law of God perfectly. That must be met. We also need someone to atone for the debt that we owe God because of our sin. You see, say for example, Someone you, you, you care deeply about, a best friend or a, a brother or a sister, was murdered. 
And you're there on the day that the trial happens. And you're there, and the, 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 the person you know is guilty is there. And the judge looks down at him and says, Well, the jury agrees that you committed this murder. You should be sentenced to death. But you know what? I'm a forgiving guy. I'm going to give you another chance. You're going to go out there, and you're going to change your ways, right? Good job. And lets the guy go. Is that a good judge? It's a bad judge. It's an unjust judge. Why? Because there has been a crime. There needs to be a payment. You can't just let these guys go. That's not justice. That's evil. And God is a good judge. And he requires a payment. He is just, which means when his law is broken, there must be consequences. And in this sense, mankind has earned themselves a great, immeasurable debt against God because we have all sinned. And you just think about billions of people across the world, trillions of people who have lived from Adam and Eve. All of us have sinned against this God. The sins are piling up to heaven. Some days I wonder how patient this God is to tarry, to let this earth go on and on as it mocks his name, it belittles his son, and yet God patiently allows us to go on. Why? Because there is now a window of grace that has been opened. Why? Because Christ himself has gone to the cross not to pay for his own sins, but for the sins of everyone who would trust him, who would repent of their sin, which means to, to hate my sin, to realize I've offended a holy God. I deserve his punishment. I deserve his wrath. And I want to turn from it. I want to renounce it. I don't want anything to do with it anymore. And as you turn from your sin, you're looking to Christ who died. And I'm saying, I believe this man paid for my sin. He took away the debt that I could never take. I'm casting all my hope, all my trust upon Jesus Christ because he died and rose again. And you put your trust in Christ and God looks at you and he says, forgiven by the debt that my son has paid, justified. He pronounces us as beloved children in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And as I said, I want to look more at how this story unfolds, but I want to really encourage you to um, really think hard about that. Don't brush it off. I also don't want to pretend that by doing certain things, you can save yourself. You could pray a prayer, you could walk an aisle, you could sign a card, you could do any number of things, but you still can't change your heart. You still can't change your nature. You see, this is the work of God. It is Him alone who can change a sinner's heart. And so what we must do is humbly come to God and say, Lord, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. I acknowledge I'm part of the problem. I am after my father, Adam. Would you create in me a clean heart as David prayed? Would you forgive me? Would you cover me in the righteousness of Christ? And you pray to the Lord. You could pray here. You can pray in your cabin. You can go for a walk around. Well, you can't go down to the bottom part, right? But you can walk around the cabins. You can pray anywhere. God hears you. Study his word. Plead with him to create in you that new heart, to give you faith to receive Christ. And he is gracious and will certainly do that. So let's pray and uh, we'll close there. Father, we thank you for this evening once again. And Lord, I know that um, there's nothing that I can say, nothing that I can do that will convince anybody 
of the desperate need that we have before you, Lord, the, the weight of our sin, uh, Lord, the, the, the great offense that our sin is to you. I can't convince anyone. I can't even change the color of one hair on my head. But Lord, we know that you are the God who speaks into the darkness and you say, let there be light. And so God, I pray that you would be pleased to do that even this week. Would you speak into the darkness and say, let there be light. Would you open eyes to see Christ? Lord, rescue these young folks from the clutches of sin and the devil. Lord, give them eternal life. Help them to see. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hand. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. Tune in next time and we'll see what happens as our story continues. Remember, if you would like to write to us or find out more information, you can find us online at www.kidsway.ca. And don't forget to head over to www.soulmusic.ca to find many more songs that Jamie Souls has written and recorded. See you next time. May God bless you and keep you and make His face to shine upon you. 